any of you who are maybe new to Living Water, Mother's Day is pretty hard on my family. Father's Day is pretty hard on it, too. Our eldest son, Malachi, um, went to be with the Lord just a little over two years ago. And so uh, these kind of days uh, are reminders of, of, of who you don't have with you sometimes. And so this week, um, I've been working on a sermon actually for about a month now. And uh, I didn't know who it was for until uh, the Lord told me it was today that I was going to be preaching this. And then when Barbara woke up this morning, I could tell that she wasn't quite um, normal, which is, I guess, kind of normal for us too. So, but um, the sermon title is It's Okay to Not Be Okay. <laughs> Amen? Sometimes it's just okay to not be okay. I remember when Malachi got sick. And as a pastor, you always feel like you have to put that face on. And as a father, I felt like I always had to be the strong one. And as a husband, I always felt like I had to be strong for everybody. And sometimes it's okay not to be. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be broken. Paul, in fact, he talks about in his weakness, that's when the Lord is strong. So then he says, then let me be weak. So this sermon, uh, maybe not a, a, a traditional Mother's Day sermon, um, but it's okay to not be okay. We a lot, in the, in the world that we live in, we've adopted this, um, this, this, this philosophy of fake it until you make it. You guys have all heard that, right? And so a lot of times when you show up to church and you're having a really terrible day, what do we do? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm great. And we lie to everybody that we come into contact with. And so I want you to try something out. If somebody says, are you, how are you doing and you're not doing okay, just say, I'm not okay. Just to see what they'll do. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, you weren't expecting that answer right now. So um, it's okay. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of times where I, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't feel okay. I don't feel happy, and that's Okay. <laughs> I remember times, my mom was here, so I remember times, <laughs> I was, look away mom, look away. So I remember growing up sometimes that <laughs> my mom and dad would be uh, having uh, intense fellowship on the way to church, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, intense fellowship, and we'd pull into the parking lot and we're all like, you know, the kids in the back, you know, sitting there going, oh wow, you know, like, are we going to do another round here or you're, what's going to happen? And um, and then it would be like, okay, now smile, we're at church, right? I mean, you know, the, uh, how many of you have been guilty of that? No lying in church, don't make me change the sermon now. I mean, you know, you, you, you get on that argument on the way there, or you had a bad morning, or you fought getting up, or you had just a bad morning, and you, you show up to church, and what do we do? We put that smile on our face, and we fake it. You know what? If you're having a bad day, what better place in the world than to be here? Right? I mean, where else would you want to be if you're having a bad day? It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel anger. It's okay to not feel happy. It's okay to have a bad day. The hardest part about not being okay is the truth, or this is just from my personal take where I've personally wrestled with the Lord, is with the truth that God is good all the time. Right? I mean, He is, right? But when you're not having a good day, it doesn't feel good. You see, when God is good all the time, but I don't feel good, that was something I struggled with. When Malachi was sick and they, and they gave, you know, the doctors from day one gave him a death sentence. They said, your son is going to die. You need to come to terms with that. And of course, you know, mom and dad are not good with that. And, and so you're, 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 you're battling with this. And then, you know, you hear everybody like, oh, God is good. And you want to slap them sometimes. I mean, sometimes things, you know, <laughs> you know just doesn't, doesn't feel good to hear. And everybody wants to make it better for you, right? Have, have any of you had a really bad day and everybody's trying to make it better and you just want to be able to cry and be left alone? 
that's okay too. All right, you guys hearing me? It's okay. And you know what I've learned through this entire experience in our life is this, is that sometimes I don't want anybody to say anything. Just sit there and be quiet and just sit by me. Sometimes there's no need for any words at all. I used to really struggle with going to hospitals or funerals um, because I didn't know what to say, and I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to say something. Cheyenne's a great example of I needed to be there for her, and I didn't know what to say or do, and I didn't do anything. I didn't even show up. And there's times where I realized when Malachi got sick is I didn't want anybody to say anything. I just want him to be there. So a lot of great learning is that if when you're having a bad day, we don't need somebody else to fix it. If you see somebody having a bad day, you don't need to fix it. Maybe they just need a hug. Maybe they just need a pat on the back, but it's okay to not be okay. You're going to get tired of me saying that, but I'm going to say it a lot until it sinks in. But in Romans 8.28, it says, and we know that in all things... It works together, right? And all things, all things work together. I remember when Malachi was sick and I was hearing this verse, work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And I'm sitting there and I would get, I was angry. Like, how is this good? Right? I mean, you wanted, I just wanted to, if, if, I didn't want to break my hands, but I sure wanted to break my hands. You know, I like I wanted to punch the wall. I wanted to tear something up. I wanted to, to burn something down. I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs. This isn't good. But you know, the thing is, is just because I felt a certain way didn't mean that that wasn't the truth. God is good all the time. He's always good. That's who he is. And just because I don't feel good doesn't mean he's not good. And just because it doesn't feel good right now doesn't mean that he isn't working it to the good. Guys, we need to get that. Just because it doesn't feel good in your life right now doesn't mean that God isn't working it to the good. Because here's the thing, the only thing that Barbara and I want is that every one of our kids get to heaven. That's what we want more than anything. We have one there. And it didn't feel good. It never felt good. Not for a moment did it feel good. I would have traded places a hundred times over. I would have gladly taken it, but I couldn't. I don't know if you know this, but the song It Is Well, wished I would have brushed up on my history a little bit, what was written by a grieving father. That song, It Is Well was written by a grieving father who wrote that song when his wife and two daughters, right? Two daughters died in a, uh, they're, they're, the ship sank at sea. And he wrote that song, It Is Well. And I remember every time I heard this song, I know the, the history of the song and so it hits me. Here's a man that lost it all out there, and he still can say, it is well with my soul. It didn't feel good. I can promise you it didn't feel good. Guys, this verse is not wrong. And one of the things that I want you guys to understand today, and I'm going to get to more of this, is that just because you feel something doesn't make it true. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to have emotions. In fact, Jesus had a lot of emotions too. In Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Lazarus. In John 2, 14 and 15, he, when he found, every, when he found the, all the money exchangers in the church and, and they were selling uh, the, the, um, the, the, the animal sacrifices and, and they were making money and they were doing all of this thing, he got so angry, he overturned tables. And somebody's like, well, it doesn't say he was angry. Okay, right. I mean, come on. He made a whip out of cords and he threw everybody out of church and then overturned tables everywhere. He was angry. And if he was hungry, he was hangry. So, I mean, here's the thing is, is we know that he, he felt sadness. He felt anger. In Matthew 26, when he was in the garden, he says, I, he became, he told his disciples, 
My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He was so, in, so much in anguish in his life that it felt like death. Has anybody, and I know that some of you in this room share that with my wife and I, have some of you felt so much sorrow that you felt like death? Jesus felt that too. Matthew 27 the very end on the cross, he's on the cross and he took all the sin of the world, yours, mine, the past, the present, the future, all the sin of all time onto himself. His father looked away and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it felt like, felt like to be forsaken. But I want you to understand something that's very important is feelings are not fact. Just because I don't feel good doesn't make God not good. You see, there's a part where I have to understand that there are some truths that I cannot forsake. And one of those truths is God is good. He is good. That's who He is. He is good. He is faithful. You know, the hardest thing I found to pray after Malachi went on to be with the Lord was when people would ask to be prayed for healing. I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to, right? I mean, that was the hardest thing to get over. Would you pray for my healing? I'm sick, would you pray for this? And, and I, there were so many times the, the cynical me inside would be like, well, my prayers didn't work very good, so I don't know why you want me praying. I mean, that was what my, my heart, my feelings, that's what my feelings told me. Let me tell you, my feelings. There's a lot of feelings that I haven't shared because I was like, wow, that's not very pastorly. But the reality is this, is that it doesn't make it not true. I mean, the feelings weren't true, but God is good. He is the great healer, and he did heal Malachi, just not in the way that I asked him to. Malachi's not sick today. Malachi's not hurting today. The Bible said when Jesus was on the cross, and the guy said, remember me, the, the, the criminal, the thief on the cross. I mean, if anybody sits here and struggles with forgiveness, <laughs> the thief dying on the cross, his, 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 his um, crimes were so bad that he had one of the worst death sentences to him, and he's on this cross in those last moments, taking his last breaths, and he's screaming out to Jesus. He's like, remember me. You know, I, I deserve this. Remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. I know where Malachi is right this moment. I know where he's at. See, your feelings, if you run down that road with all of the feelings, it's okay to feel anger, it's okay to feel the sadness, it's okay to feel those things, but if you let those feelings and emotions run your life, they will take you down a road and they will deceive you. They'll deceive you. So today, <laughs> we're going to discover what to do when it's not okay. Is that good? Does that sound good? I'm going to give you five different truths and principles that you can apply to your life. We're going to learn them from different individuals in the Bible, all from the Old Testament. Yep, made sure. I was like, better not miss say that. Nehemiah, Job, Mordecai. Anybody not familiar? Anybody here saw who in the world's Mordecai? Like, I know who he is. He's on the Matrix. Not that one, a different one. Before him, there was a, a Mordecai in the book of Esther. We already talked a little bit about Esther. So we're going to look at these three guys, that, 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 and, there's, and there's so many stories throughout the Bible of where somebody had a, had a terrible, no good, awful, horrible day. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to find out some principles that we can apply to our life when we're not. Everybody in this room's had a bad day, right? Am I right? Every one of us? So this is relevant to every one of us. All right, so first things first. Bad things do happen to good people, and I know that saying the word good people, you know, only Jesus is good, you know, so, um, but let's just, for sake of arguments here, I have a lot of times people will say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody have been, ever, have you ever, have you been asked that question before? And how many of you have asked that question before? 
Good, good. So a lot of times I hear that as like, why? And I remember somebody got really mad at God and they were like, well, I'm really, I'm angry with God and I'm never going to believe in him. I'm never going to pray because of what he did to Malachi. And I'm like, well, that was my son and I'm still praying. I'm still worshiping. I still love him. So a lot of times we, we get this, why do bad things happen? So what I want to do is Every character, Job, Nehemiah, Mordecai, none of these men were cited for any sinful activity. It wasn't because of sin in their life that the calamity, the painful circumstances came. So I'm going to give you five reasons or five reasons why um, I found in the Bible for um, bad things to happen. First, sin. Here's the deal is if you are sinning, If there is sin in your life, unrepented sin, it is very likely to lead to some kind of calamity in your life. Um, In fact, after Jesus healed a man in John 5, 14, uh, Jesus found him later in the temple after he was walking around, and he says, now go, stop sinning, or something worse will happen. So a lot of times what we do need to realize is that if I'm walking down a sinful road, it is going to put barriers between God and myself, and it's going to start causing some major issues in my life. So sin can be the reason for calamity in our life. They used to believe, the Jews used to believe that it was the only, like if, if something bad happened to you, you, and depending on the severity of the badness, was how bad you were. So Job's friends, when Job didn't do anything wrong, Job's friends really struggled and said, man, all this stuff's happened to you. You must have been real bad, Job. You might want to get on your face and repent. And yet we know from what the Bible teaches, he didn't do anything wrong. Number two, to showcase your faith. Sometimes God allows calamity in our life, things to happen to us, and what it ends up doing is it ends up showcasing how much faith we have in God. Sometimes it's, a, it's something that's there that allow, it's allowed to happen. So God allowed the devil to attack Job, and all it ended up doing was showing how great Job's faith was. So sometimes things happen in your life for no reason of your doing, but just out of an opportunity for you to showcase the faith. And I love this statement I heard once is that you are a trophy of God. You're His Christ's creation. You were created in His image. So you are the prize of His creation. The only ones created in His image, in fact. The church is not the trophy. The church is just the trophy case. Pretty neat to think of it that way, isn't it? Church is just the thing that's holding all of the trophies of God, right? And so sometimes when these calamities happen in our life, it just gives us an opportunity to demonstrate our strong faith in the Lord. The third one is in the book of James, it talks about how the 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 you know, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials and tribulations of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature. So a part of sometimes when bad things happen and, and, and the calamity and the trials and tribulations happen in your life, sometimes it's there to help develop your faith. Sometimes we keep failing the test And we keep getting the test, and we keep failing it over and over and over and over, and then wonder why we're not growing. Maybe we miss the joy part. Consider it pure joy. My mentor, when when he got got fired from his job, he calls me and he says, hey, I just got fired. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He goes, what? No, no, this is a praise. And I'm like, oh, why is it a praise? You know, I thought you loved that job and everything. And, And, uh, And he says, you know, because of this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He said, if I only rejoice when it's going my way, then I really don't don't know anything about joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a state of mind. Pretty good stuff. 
The fourth reason that I found in the Word of God for calamity and trials, tribulations, is a spiritual attack. The devil hates you, and he wants to attack you. True? He hates you because you love God. He hates you because of your love for God. The more you love God, the more you follow God, the more you serve God, the more you give yourself to God, the more the attacks. Have you ever noticed that? See, here's the deal is when you're just doing, when you're, when you're following the ways of the devil, he don't care. You're not a problem. That's why there's a lot of churches that the, they don't even need to send a devil to. They don't even need to send a demon over there. And if they do, he's sleeping on the roof because they're not doing nothing. And I like it when you stir it up a little bit. So, a spiritual attack. Trials and tribulations can come from, 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 from the devil and from him attacking you. The, the, the fifth reason is just because. And I think that's one that we shouldn't miss out. I had, uh, my grandfather asked me last night, he says, I don't understand why bad things happen throughout the world. Why is this happening to Ukraine? We're praying that this stops. Why are all these things happening? Why? Well, one, we're not going to answer the question why. But you know what? We don't live in a fair world. I mean, surely we've, we know that now, right? I mean, every one of us sitting in this room has figured out that the world's not fair. And just because you gave your life to the Lord doesn't all of a sudden make it fair. It doesn't make it fair just because I gave, and, and, and I didn't give my life to Jesus. said, God, I'll give my life to you as long as you make it okay for me. Right? It doesn't work that way. It's like, God, this world is a mess, and I'm going to give my, so I don't want to go through this mess alone, so just walk with me through this. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's what he promised, but he also said in his word, John 16, I told you these things so that you may have peace, but in this world, what? In this world you will have trouble. See, he doesn't say, oh, believe in me and I'm going to make it all okay. There's a lot of preachers that out there, they're, they're giving a watered-down gospel. All you got to do is give your life to Jesus and it all gets better. It does get better, but it doesn't mean that the world becomes fair and it doesn't mean that I don't hurt. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have bad days. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Come on now. Huh? Oh, come on now. Is that all you got? Come on. Man, when you start thinking about what the Lord, he says, hey, in this world, you're going to have some trouble, but take heart because I overcame it. Man. So the second thing I want to bring your attention to is this. Job, what he teaches us is to praise God in the middle of the storm. So we, most of you know Job, and, and what was so weird is that Job was one of Malachi's favorite books. Uh, it was a book filled with suffering, um, but he loved it. And so Job, in, in chapter 1, it talks about how, how, it says, In the land of Uz there was a, a, a lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He was a good man. Okay? In fact, it goes on to say that he was the greatest in all the land. It talked about how many camels and how many goats and how many of this and how many of that. He was a rich, rich, rich man who loved the Lord. Let's just put it that way. The devil shows up and said, well, if you'll take that protective hedge around him, away from that and let me attack him, he'll curse you to your face and die. God says, no, he won't. And so he gives permission. See, here's where a lot of people get mad at God. God could have said no, right? We could have gotten mad at God and said he could have healed them the way that we wanted. We get mad and we say, well, God could have stopped that sickness. God could have stopped the cancer. God could have stopped the death. God could have, God could have, God could have, but he didn't. And that doesn't make him not good. God has a plan that I can't see. And God knows exactly what needs to happen and how it needs to happen, and He's completely sovereign. God is in control. When my emotions are out of control, He's in control. When I feel like my life is spinning and upside down, He is in control because God is sovereign. 
So the devil begins to attack everything that he has. All of his donkeys and camels and his land and his crops, they're all stolen, burned up. Everything happens. He has ten children. They're all in a house. And it says that in chapter 1, um, verses 13 through 19, it begins to talk about how this great mighty wind came and knocked the house down and killed all of his children. He lost all ten children in one day. In one moment, just like that, they're all gone. Every one of them. Your sons and your daughters were feasting. They were drinking on wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this. At this. At this. Job got up, tore his robe Shaved his head. That's a sign of disgrace. It's a sign of pain. And, and when you, because the hair was, was a covering to the Jews, it was an important part. Shaving your head was a big deal. He fell on the ground and he worshiped. What did you think about that? He fell down and he worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Hold on to that for just a moment. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Praise be his name. Isn't that something? What Job teaches us, that when you're not okay, praise Him anyways. When you've shaved your head and you've ripped your clothes, you put ash on your head and you're, you're grieving, you're in pain, worship Him anyways. When you don't want to get up and you, and you just want to, want to lay around. I mean, whatever is happening in your life, when you can't pay your bills, when you, when, you, when, you, when you can't feed your family, whatever the calamity is, whatever the problem is, you praise God anyways. That is a fact. You praise Him in the middle of the storm. I'm so thankful for the story of Job. Praise Him anyways. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. You think, if, you, if you could step back and put yourself in that situation for a moment and begin to think about how does Job feel. In fact, a little bit later, he's sitting down and, he, and, he's, and, he's, and he's beaten down. Here's a beaten down man and his wife walks by him and she goes, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks, wife. I'm going to nominate you for wife of the year. Keep up the faith. I mean, he lost everything. He lost his, his business. He lost, he lost his money. He lost his land. He, lost, he would have gladly given all of that if he kept his children, but he lost that too. He lost everything he had. He was sitting there by himself. His wife left him in this and everything. I mean, he is alone. And he didn't blame God for it. Isn't that something? I mean, if we're honest, how many... We won't... This is a rhetorical question. Don't raise your hands. But it is a good question for us to think about. Is how many of us have blamed God for our calamity? I mean, right? I mean, look, right? Probably would be lying if there wasn't a point, a time or two in our life where we didn't like, God, you could have stopped this. You could have. You could have put an end to this. You could have done this. You could have done that. And, and, and we, we get on to God as if we're somebody, right? In all of this, in all of his loss, in all of his pain, in all of his suffering, in all of his grief, he didn't charge God with wrongdoing. That is remarkable. Praised God. So that's what we can learn from Job. Let's look at Nehemiah. The third thing I want, to, I want us to learn here is Nehemiah's pray through until you break through. I love that. 
Pray through until you break through. So Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah, a little bit of the context here is Nehemiah was, was a part of, of the, the captives taken from Jerusalem. And he is a cupbearer to the king. We're going to see that in a little while. But, but he's living in a place that's not his own. He is a captive. So he's un, basically a, a type of slavery here because he's not in control of his own life. Maybe there's a time or two in your own life where you felt like maybe you weren't in control, you were out of control, there was nothing that you had the power, and you felt like everyone had control and power over you. That is Nehemiah. He asks, he has these, these friends when they came from Jerusalem, he says, tell me, how is Jerusalem doing? They said, man, the walls are down, the gates have been burned, and everybody who lives there now are in utter shame. terrible the circumstances that they were living in says the wall is broken down the gates are burned when i heard these things this nehemiah says i sat down and wept for some days i mourned fasted and prayed before god of heaven here's a man who 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 when he heard this news about his beloved city his beloved country his countrymen the people he loved and cared about and he heard about how bad their situation was he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for several days in fact it writes down his prayer And in the last part of his prayer, he says, God, give your servant success today by granting him him favor in the presence of this man. So his prayer, he writes down in the book of Nehemiah, you can look this up later, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, he writes down his prayer and he says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of of this man. He is a cupbearer to the king. So he, as a Jew, was in the presence of the king. So the king could ask him, could open the door, or could not. So he's asking, God, help me with this. Help me with this. Well, I forgot to do this slide. My, my bad. So in chapter 2, I already read it to you, so we're not going to... Right, so in chapter 2, it says this, in the month of Nisan. So... Four months later, after he heard the news, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. Four months later, this is here, in the month of, this is, so when his prayer is answered, it's 120 days later. Come on now, 120 days. How many of you will wait 120 days for the Lord to answer your prayer? I mean, think about this. Most of us go, God, you're taking too long. I've sat here for 10 minutes. I'm doing my own thing now. Don't we? Don't we do that? God, you're not moving fast enough, so I'm going to move. I I don't have time, God, to wait on you. Come on, don't act like you don't do that. You may not say it, but your actions are doing it. Right? He waited on the Lord. He waited 120 days. When wine was brought before him, I I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad. He'd been sad. He said, I had not been sad in his presence before. When you're a person who's pretty happy most of the time, and all of a sudden you're having a bad day, most people recognize it. Amen? Now, some of us who walk around in a bad day all the time, they only recognize your good days. Don't be that, all right? It's okay, to, it's okay not to be okay, but let's not live in the land of not okay, all right? All right, so he says, why does the king ask him, why does your face look so sad when you're not sick, you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very, this is now Nehemiah, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I, my face, not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Listen to this. Then I prayed. I want you to think about one of the things that everybody, every book I've ever read on Nehemiah focused on is great leadership. And they always skip over how many times then I prayed. This little statement, then I prayed, is throughout the whole book. Read it. Then I prayed, then I prayed, then I prayed. There's these just, it doesn't have all of his prayers written down, but it talks about how this man is continuously praying. 
He prayed through until he broke through. I, I remember in basic training, uh, in basic training, uh, the, the, the drill sergeants, like, they always go through their phases of, of how they would want to smoke you, is, is what they, you know, <laughs> that's their way of, of you're about to do push-ups until your arms fall off, and then you're like, you know, you're, I remember trying to wash my hair, and I was like this, you're trying to, so you just use the wall. I just I don't have very much hair. Don't even worry about it. I can't get my arms. I mean, they would and and these drill sergeants they didn't point at you like this anymore. So they they did this. They would get right up in your face and they would they couldn't touch you, but they would get so close to your face and they would and the, and and the drill where where I was uh, during my basic training, I, I they would they would just say one word, push. And you just keep going. And they, don't, they don't care how long you're going. You just keep going. And then all of a sudden you're like on the ground. You're like, you, you, what your idea is, okay, if I drop, maybe I can bounce off the floor just enough to get up. Because if you stay on the floor, you get smoked again. I didn't say you saw pushes. So you're like, you know, like, like I'm going to try to bounce off the floor here real quick, you know. And then, then you would get one arm that's kind of working and you'd be like, like this. And then, then you're like, like, like this a little bit. Not like the Air Force guys over here. I mean, you guys had coffee. I mean, did you guys even do push-ups in the Air Force? I'm sorry. <laughs> Pastor Paul's in the Air Force. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. Oh, I should have went to the Air Force. But anyways. Or Navy, I'm sorry. Oh, no, never mind. You're, okay, Navy boy. Somebody's in the Air Force. Who is an Air Force guy in here? Sorry. He's like, don't. Don't point at me right now. Don't, don't point at me right now. Well, anyways, so this, this drill sergeants, they, they'd all day long, and for no reason, they just tell you to push and push and push and push. And, and you, man, you just, you just, your arms would hurt so bad you couldn't do anything. You couldn't even wash your own hair as I already, I, so then the only way to, and you hated your, I mean, you just couldn't stand being around because they're just looking for a reason to smoke you. And so I, 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 the, it was Sunday morning, and they're like, who wants to go to chapel? We all got religious. Like everybody's going to chapel. Is the drill sergeants allowed in? No. We all going. So we all went to chapel. We all got in there. The drill sergeants are outside. It was great. Like, how long can we stay here? Can we like get real like can we get some of these charismatic churches that have like really long services, you know, to, you know, something, you know. So so we were we were in there and I remember the first thing the chaplain got up there and he goes, push. And we're all like, we're all looking around like, can he do that? He's not a drill sergeant. Does he have the power to make us, like, are we going to, like, in the aisles at the altar? What are we, and he's like, push. And I'm like, oh. you know, like, what do we do? There's a, there's a pew. And he goes, pray until something happens. And we're like, Whew. Thought I was going to have to do some more push-ups. And so I remember, uh, I remember as he was as he was he was saying, you know, listen, the next time you guys out there and you don't think that you can go another inch, you don't think that you can go another these guys are here to push you. You just remember that you push back. Pray until something happens. That's Nehemiah. Pray until something happens. Quit trying to do it yourself. Quit trying to fix the problem and just keep praying until something changes, until something happens. Quit trying to fix it yourself. When will we stop trying to fix it ourselves and just rely on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the all-powerful Alpha and Omega? Pray until something happens. Well, one of the last things that I'm going to bring out from Nehemiah is this. He waited. Of course, we all know that that's a problem. I know that uh, that's definitely an area of struggle in my life. We have this habit of getting ahead of God. We have this habit of, of when we, we try to push through ourselves rather than praying, we just try to manhandle everything. And how many times has that just made it worse? Right? 
How many times have we just made it absolutely worse because we didn't wait on the Lord? Look at this, Isaiah 40. But those who hope, now in the uh, King James, I believe, it is those who wait upon the Lord, or maybe that's the NIV, I can't remember, um, the New King James, yes. The New King James says, those who wait upon the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, hope is about the future, it's about that tomorrow's going to be better than today, it's those who are hoping in the Lord, we're waiting on the Lord, will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. Wait upon the Lord. When you don't know what to do, wait right think about that write it down when you don't know what to do wait wait for the lord to reveal what he is doing all right let's get to mordecai i just like that name that's a really cool name mordecai sounds tough Anyways, so Mordecai, a little bit of context. So we're going to talk about Mordecai, and and one of the things that he's going to teach us here is that pain often positions us for God's plan. So Mordecai is a character found in the book of Esther. Esther um, was a Jewish lady, um, and so the queen uh, got disposed. She got kicked out. She was no longer the queen. The king then decides, he's like, I want a new queen a new queen. So they go throughout the land and they find all the prettiest girls of the land and they bring them all before the king. And now they go through this really long, and you have to read all the chapters to get up to this point, but they go through all of these. uh, It's 12 months of beautifying before he gets, so he's waiting, waiting for his queen, them to present so he can choose. And I don't know, you know, um, it's, it's, it's exactly like the, um, the, 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 the television series? What's the, what's the one where they're um, all... Which one? Yeah, like the, the Bachelor. Kidding, it's not like that at all. But anyways, so these, these girls are all... And, and they don't have a choice in this. It's not like, no, I don't want to be married to the king. He'll just kill you. So it's, it, you don't have a choice. So it's not like this is Esther's dream. Oh, maybe I could marry the guy who destroyed my city, my life, my family, and killed everybody that I know. Man, I want to marry that guy. I mean, that's that, that, that's, that's, this is not her dream. She didn't have a choice. Can you imagine being, I mean, a lot of times they're like, wow, how lucky is she? No, that's not luck. That's not fun. This is not, this is not to her a, a, a good time. You guys following me? This is to her. This is, this is not okay. You get me? She's having a not okay day. And the king chooses her. Yay. Right? So during this time, all of this is happening. This, her life is being ruined. This, this man, Mordecai, who is her uncle, who took care of her, Mordecai finds out that there's a person who is a part of the of the leadership team of the king and he wants to kill all the jews his name's haman he's a bad guy and he talks the king into signing this treat this document that basically allows all the jews to be killed on this specific date there's a date now picked on this date everyone can kill the jews we're going to exterminate all the Jews. All the Jews are dying. I mean, how many times have people tried to exterminate all the Jews, right? This is just one of those times. Haman is planning on exterminating. The king signs off of it. He's not really paying attention. He doesn't really know who they're talking about. He doesn't even know that his, his queen is a Jew, that this would relate to her as well. It's not like she was forthright with that part. And so... Mordecai in chapter 4, chapter 4 of Esther, it says this, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. 
And every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This is their way of when, when it's not okay, they threw on the sackcloth and they threw ashes on themselves and they just laid, laid on the ground and they wept, screaming bitter cries. Now, picking up at verse 10, so what happens is in the next couple of verses, he begins to, uh, Mordecai begins to uh, um, try to get her to come out and visit with him. So she sends um, a eunuch. He goes over and he speaks to him, gets instructions, and this guy is going back and forth. Here's what happens. She instructed Mordecai. says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they may be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So this is Esther telling Mordecai. Mordecai says, you need to go stop this. You need to go talk to the king. She goes, if I go to the king, I'm going to die. If I step into the court without me being properly summoned, I'm the one that's going to die. Can you imagine that situation? Right? I mean, that's a pretty tough situation, isn't it? Now listen how Mordecai, he sends back an answer and he says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. I love that. That's pretty remarkable. He says, if you don't do it, somebody else will. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Think about the whole situation to position Esther as the new queen of, of a foreign country, of, of a place that's not her home, all the things that would have had to transpire. Everybody was wanting to kill off the Jews, but here's what happens is she gets a part of being this group that's getting dragged off, and her beauty is noticed, and they bring her before this king, and he chooses her out of all of the people. She didn't want to be chosen by the king. He wasn't popular to any of the Jews and none of the Jews liked him and all of these things had to happen to get her at that exact place at this exact moment in time to put a stop to something have you ever thought that maybe some of the pain that's in our life is positioning us to be used by God Hmm? what if the trial that you're going through right now is positioning you to be used in a mighty way for God. So I'll say it again, it's okay to not be okay. But we are not to live there. And if we can begin to step back and begin to realize that, you know what? I don't feel good right now. But I know that God is good. I know that God has a plan for this moment, for this time, for this situation. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise God anyways. I'm going to praise Him when I don't feel like it. I'm going to praise God when I don't feel good. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray so long and so hard until God does something. And I'm going to wait on Him. And I'm going to allow all of this pain and all of this trial and all of this suffering, I'm going to allow it to position me to be used by God in however He sees fit. My wife and I are able to minister in a way that we was never able to minister before it is not one that we would have signed up for but it is something that we know that we can help people with 
and that at least we don't, no one has to walk alone in it. So I want you to bow your heads. Maybe some of you right now are I don't even want to say maybe. How many of you today, by a show of your hands, are going through suffering, trials, and tribulations? Anybody? Anybody in the room is feeling pain? Okay. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Let's put this into practice. What good is a sermon if I just say amen and I don't apply anything to my life? Maybe right now there's a part of you that says, I just want to, I really want to pray. I want to talk to God, but I don't want to, you don't have to even pray alone. But right now, if, if, you're, if, that's, if that's you right now and, you, and you've got this painful experiences that you're going through, come and pray right now. Just come. Pray. Pray until something happens. Come on. If you're going through that painful experience right now and you don't know what to do, I can tell you right now, start praying. Let's start by praying. You start with God. He has all the answers. He knows the way. You don't have to walk this trial alone. Seek the one who has the answer that you seek.